Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, get ready to be energized and have some serious fun. This is the Energetic Education Podcast. Introducing your host, Dale Sidebottom. Welcome to episode number 47 and today we have an absolute treat for you. Catching up with none other than Andy Vasily, who, for people who don't know, I would regard him as teaching royalty. And why I say that is that he is one of the most generous people with his time. And not only that, he's leading the way in everything that he's been doing. Andy has years of teaching experience. And as we mentioned, he's just ticked over the half century, celebrating his 50th birthday just recently. And really, what he's done is reflected on his amazing journey as an international teacher all over the world. Not only that, but from a TED speaker, so he's the first ever TED speaker I've had on the podcast, he runs his own amazing podcast called Run Your Life, and so many more valuable life lessons that Andy has learnt over the way. So guys, get ready, I am super, super excited to welcome Andy Vasily to the podcast today. Andy, how are you buddy? Hey, I'm great man, it's a pleasure to be on your show and to reconnect with you my man. Now, I think I should be the one thanking you, buddy, particularly since you've just uh, raised the 50-year bar um, in Australia. We call that we raise the bat for cricket. Now, um, for our listeners out there, Andy is not Australian. You can tell by his accent. But Big 50, mate, what did you do to celebrate? Yeah, the 50th birthday. I guess um, when I turned 49, to be honest, I said, hey, man, it's 50 anyways. It's all the same thing. (laughs) You know, so I'm trying to down, downplay the monumental moment of turning 50 years old. When I woke up on the day, my boy said, "I can't believe you're half a century old." <laughs> that that did my, that did my head in a little bit. But uh, we had a, a very nice day. It was great. We had a leadership meeting at the school that morning, and the leadership team put on a really nice little um, buffet kind of breakfast. And so we had some snacks, and then uh, started off the meeting on the right foot. And it was uh, that night I played golf and had dinner with my family. So we treat every day as very special and um, and and just look at every day like that. So it was a special day, but we try to make every day special. So it was a, it was a good day. And you do do that, mate. And I suppose that's one of the big reasons I wanted to get on here, listening and following you for years. And I know we connected, um, and I talked to my listeners a lot about this, about obviously the power of Twitter. And um, I remember for about four or five years that I obviously knew you through Twitter. And then uh, 2017, we met in Dubai, Connect to PE. And since then, it's been amazing. So, um, mate, I'm really excited to have you on here today. And for listeners out there, um, can you just give a little bit of a journey of obviously your upbringing, uh, and your teaching background, and I'm going to mention a few of the schools you've been at and different countries you've taught at, but if you could just give the listeners a little bit of a background, Andy, that'd be great, mate. Yeah, sure. So I'm from Canada, Windsor, Ontario, which is a border city with Detroit, Michigan, so you can literally see Detroit right across the river, the home of the Detroit Tigers and the, the Detroit Red Wings and the, and the you know, they, they have all, yeah, the Pistons and the Lions, so I grew up kind of... Um, loving both Canadian and American sports. Um, stayed in Windsor pretty pretty much throughout university and never thought that I would actually leave. Uh, contemplated a, a career as a police officer, came very close, and then felt in my heart that I needed to stay uh, in touch because I was doing a lot of coaching and I knew that I was better equipped and meant to be a teacher. 
And that started the journey, um, ended up moving abroad to Japan with Neela, my wife. I uh, lived 10 years in Japan, uh, worked at uh, my first international school there, uh, teaching PE straight out of the gates, teaching PE, and then uh, moved to Eastern Europe, taught two years there, then Cambodia for two years, then China for five years, um, always in PE. Um, and it's just been an amazing, remarkable journey teaching internationally. Um, you know, my boys go to the schools that Neil and I have taught at. Uh, Neil and I, our offices are just down the hall from one another. So it's been a very bonding um, experience for my family, always being in the same school. Um, so that's kind of a glimpse into what I've done and uh, the importance of internationalism uh, to my family and, and growing up in a world that knows no boundaries in, tar in terms of uh, culture and ethnicity, uh, meeting beautiful people around the world and uh, not regretting one day of it. Yeah, and I think that's massive that not only do you get to spend every day with your children, but your amazing wife as well. And um, that's one thing I think as a couple that both teach, do you think that's a massive positive going to international schools? It absolutely is. And for us, it's always been finding the right fit. So Neela's background is nursing. She graduated with her nursing degree, and then she got her um, English as a second language qualification. So she was teaching English um, in some of the schools that we worked at, or she was a school nurse. And we were always forced to find the perfect fit, because a lot of schools won't recognize that as being an official teaching certification. So when schools didn't uh, officially acknowledge it as a teaching certification, then she fell back on her nursing, and she was a school nurse. So in moving to China, she took a year and a half off, and she completed her teacher training from the University of Southern Queensland. <laughs> okay, and, yeah, yeah. And got her teaching degree, and, and now you know, the, the world's wide open to us, so we can go anywhere and she can either nurse or teach depending on the position. And she's kind of moving now towards a counseling role. So for us, it's been an amazing journey. And uh, I highly recommend taking a couple years off um, from the national system, wherever you live and just exploring the opportunity of teaching abroad. Yeah. And I can, I can second that mate, uh, moving around and traveling different curriculum, different people, different students. And not only that, connecting with different teachers around the world is something that I've found very powerful for my education. And, and I think other teachers have as well. And you're not the only guest that I've obviously had on that talks about this. So, um, that's what I wanted to get to a little bit more. Now you've obviously been to Cambodia, Japan, China, Saudi Arabia. Is there one place that sticks out to you, mate, like that I love this? And I know where you are at the moment. You live on a golf course and you probably do more yeah. golfing than teaching. You are getting to your career and that's probably fair enough. Your golf game's not yeah. as good as your teaching. Sorry, I just had to throw yeah. that in there. But um, is there one of those places, mate, that you, you prefer or you loved the most? Without question, 100% Japan. Yeah. Um, that's where our heart is. Uh, we just returned to Japan for Christmas for three weeks. I uh, actually jumped over to uh, China as well while we were there uh, to see our old school in China. But um, Japan, we, you know, both our boys were born there. We've got really super close uh, Japanese friends and international friends there. So when we return back to that culture and, and the country, beautiful culture, beautiful people, um, beautiful rituals and um, 
just the the niceties of the Japanese culture are just overwhelming, you know. Um, but definitely, I would say Japan is like our second home. Yeah, and I can second that again. I've been there on a holiday, not lived there, but I think the Japanese, they do everything so well, their country, their culture. Um, I can see why you'd really like that. One place I'm interested in, what was your opinion on China, mate? Uh, I've heard some... Uh, conflicting things. I can see your face over the, the camera there, mate. Um, yeah. An experience? Is that probably a good way of putting it? Uh, again, China is just a different beast altogether, you know, and you go like we were in Japan where, you know, the culture is so respectful of other people, like other people come first. And, you know, you can be crossing on a green light. You have the the crosswalk signal to cross the road in Japan and the cars will stop, you know, even if they can make it in time, they'll still stop and let the pedestrian go. Whereas China is a little more free willing, wild, chaotic, you know, get to where you got to go. So you got to keep your head up and on a swivel at all times. It's like American football, right? Getting hit blindside. Um, the Chinese are lovely people. They, they laugh. They, they are openly expressive. Uh, but it can be a really challenging place to live. But I would not take back a day of living in that country. Like it was an amazing experience. And, and you learn about the beauty of culture there, the, the good and the bad. But by far, the good overweighs the bad in, with Chinese culture. They're very helping uh, people as well. And they'll do anything for you if you make that connection. Yeah, yeah. So I suppose that's a lot of things in life. If you make a connection with somebody, they're obviously going to look out for you a lot better than, you know, somebody that's not really giving the full attention. Now, one thing I really wanted to talk about, and listeners can probably get uh, get a feel of this, but you speak extremely well, and that's because you run an amazing podcast as well called Run Your Life Podcast. Now, can you explain to listeners, maybe if they haven't heard about it, what a little bit about this and, and why it come about? Well, I think like you, and you would understand this as a podcaster yourself, you're on what episode now? Uh, the, I've released 44, so a little bit behind you, mate, but uh, yeah, ticking along. Yeah, and I, I think it's such a learning journey, and not only are you bringing on amazing uh, guests and learning from them, um, but you're also you know, developing your own craft of um, asking the right questions to learn about others and to glean insight into the journey of others. And I originally set up my podcast as a physical education podcast. And then as much as I love physical education, to me, teaching is deeply personal. And I, I have kind of removed myself from the lens of only physical education to look at what it means to be an educator. And when we can look at what it means to be an educator, then we become way better at what we do in a discipline-specific way. So I've become a much better PE teacher by interviewing people outside of PE and learning um, how learning the, the things that they do to strive for mastery in their profession. Um, so it's been a real learning journey. So I, Again, it started off as PE, but then I started to tinker with bringing in people from different roles and capacities in education. And then that led to like, you know, contacting authors of books that I've read and bring on authors that led to like being inspired by TED Talks and then bringing on TED Talk speakers. And um, 
every single person I've had on. It's this uh, theme of ordinary greatness. You know, you and I are just average people striving to do the best that we can do. And it's these wonderful stories that people have in striving to be the best that they can be that are so impactful and you can extrapolate lessons for uh, from that apply to your own work. And I think as a physical educator myself, I have grown and learned so much by reaching beyond my discipline for excellence. And I think that's what my podcast is all about, reaching beyond my discipline for excellence, but then pulling it back into what I do as a physical educator. Yeah, and I, I think that's amazing how... Um, you start off with one thing in goal and, and you don't figure out actually where you want to take that or, or what your actual journey is until you actually put the wheels into place. You're like, well, I'm, this is leading somewhere where I never thought. And um, I agree with you there that um, I love listening to other people's podcasts, but the most I learn is when I actually interview somebody because I am paying attention to everything they say um, and I take in more than anybody else. So um, I, I think it's really beneficial and powerful. Now, before I get on to the next bit, um, you mentioned something about TED Talks before and you were officially the first TED presenter I've ever had on you, Andy. So um, that's a pretty amazing thing. I've watched your talk a couple of times now um, and I also saw this live um, where you did it, spoke a little bit longer about it in uh, Dubai last year. Now, um, can you explain what it was like to be a TED presenter um, and then also a little bit about your message? For those who haven't listened to Andy speak, um, I will have a link to his TED Talk on my show notes. And it, it is pretty personal, mate, because you talk about addiction, depression, and obviously your upbringing. So um, I know I've thrown a lot of questions at you there, mate, but um, just give a little bit of a background about it. And um, yeah, what made you come to that realization that you needed to share your journey with everybody? Yeah, I, I appreciate you asking that question. And it's, um, you know, again, I go back to emphasizing that teaching is deeply personal to me. And for me to be the, the very best that I can be as an educator, um, I've got to be open and vulnerable. And I've, I've got to share the lessons that I've learned and kind of the, the guiding principles that have allowed me to overcome a lot of obstacles in my life growing up, you know. And I think all parents do the best that they can do, you know, and they're just up against obstacles themselves. And my parents were up against obstacles uh, my mom was an alcoholic. My dad was an alcoholic, a, a, a working alcoholic, so he could he could get through every day just fine. Uh, he stopped drinking um, probably in his 60s, and he lived to 79. Uh, my mom stopped drinking years ago, um, but there was this cycle of dysfunction and depression and addiction in my family. And it's I describe in the TED Talk, you know, I, I lost one brother to suicide. Um, I lost another brother to addiction, and these were really gifted people, you know, and that had these demons that they fought on a daily basis. And those demons, for for people that have grown up in a world of addiction, even if you are just beyond the reach of addiction, you always feel that dark hand just ready to close in on you and just grab you. And that's something I felt for my whole life. And through physical activity and sport, uh, I had a purpose that just, and in my TED Talk, I describe how it just allowed me to keep just beyond that demonic reaching hand of addiction and depression. And and I delved into drugs and, and you know, I could have gone down that road. It was just that razor's edge, that fine edge. 
where I could have gone either way. But, you know, I returned back to the powerful role that physical activity and sport played in my life. And that's what the rest of my family didn't have. Um, my sister was an athlete. Um, so she and I often talk about, you know, that, that um, sport gave us a purpose. And so I shared that story in the TED stage. And I'm telling you, I, about a week before, you know, I thought I need to share this story in honor of my brothers and their life. And I need to share it because I know somebody in the audience will, will, will know exactly what I'm talking about. So, but about a week before I thought there's, I thought to myself, there's no friggin' way I can share this. Yeah. And I almost, yeah. I almost bailed out and went with another talk, but I stuck with it and I'm glad I did it. So I think just that idea of, um, real empathy and compassion, self-compassion, you need empathy and self-compassion to be a great teacher and I wanted to share those stories and and kind of um, the power of forgiveness as, as well and forgiving yourself. There's there's a sense of um, shame that comes with with um, losing loved ones and that you were something was different with you. So so it's just this weird feeling of um, a sense of guilt almost survivor's guilt, you know. But I had to come to grips with that and realize that I'm meant to do the work that I'm that I'm doing and to share the stories that I am to empower people to know that regardless of what they face, um, when they find purpose, it makes a, a huge difference in their life. So that kind of sums it up. Yeah, and, and, yeah. and I, it was amazing, mate. And I was sitting there, I was really moved. I was like, wow, the, the courage and strength that you would have to do to finally get up there and actually do that. Um, but I could just see by looking around, I wasn't there at the TED Talk, obviously, but in Dubai when you were actually talking about this, like it really hit home with a lot of people, mate. So um, sometimes, you know, doing those hard things is really rewarding. And one thing I want to talk about, you mentioned a lot, was that your release, your one go-to place. I think everyone should have a happy place. I personally like to go for a walk or the gym. For you, it's running. What, what does running symbolize and why is it so powerful for you? Yeah, and I think you're you're a super active dude, right? So so I, I I feel the the energy from you, and I feel the energy that movement brings to your life. Definitely. And and for me, it's like running again. It's like it's such a deeply personal thing, you know. And and it, it's like some days are hard to get out and run. Can you still hear me? Yeah, yeah, I've got you, mate. Yep. Can you still? Um, but some days are really hard to get out and run. But for me, I know that it actually uh, that it actually like clicks on the light switch and and lightens my day, and uh, helps me be creative and and think. And you know, sometimes I'll listen to music and I'm really inspired. Some days I know I can't take any headphones with me because I need to reflect. It's almost like moving meditation. Um, when I don't, when I feel unsettled in the morning, like I can't figure out why I have this unsettled feeling, then usually a run will bring clarity. And I think, okay, well, I've been neglecting this in my life. So now I need to address it. Um, so it, it serves multiple purposes, but the big overriding theme is that it gives me clarity. It inspires me. It, um, lightens my day and, and puts me into a better mood. Um, to face the day, you know, yeah. and, and I, I agree, mate. Sometimes it's the hardest thing to do, but it's a non-negotiable, really, because it really sets everything else up. And I want to get into this. It's a little bit different, a little bit of a left sort of 
left ball here, but daily routines, mate. So obviously you mentioned uh, you love you need to run for the clarity for everything else that it brings. Um, and I know nearly your wife is really big into mindfulness and everything like that. How do you practice being present in the moment? Is there things that you do? Do you meditate? You obviously run. Are there other things out there that work really well for you that maybe teachers listening or parents or even um, any adult out there that may listen to this podcast could really benefit from? Yeah, I, I, for, for us, it's without question, it's meditation and gratitude. Um, we've, um, meditation plays a very important role in our lives. So we, we start out every day with um, minimum a 10-minute meditation. Neil and I, we sit together and um, we meditate, you know, at our own pace, you know. Um, but meditation brings about a, a – again, meditation is very difficult because the mind can roam and wander and – um, some days it doesn't feel like you accomplished anything, but it's it brings about a, a an inner stillness. I would describe it um, the power of gratitude to to really truly be grateful beyond just making it a, a routine. It's different, you know. You see people say grace before they they have dinner or whatever, and and oftentimes these things become just daily routines that lose the spirituality. So we, we try to be very serious about gratitude and, and happiness and um, just to, to give a little shout out for, to gratitude and happiness every day, regardless of how shitty your day is, you know, you can always find some good in it. And as, you know, genetically, we are programmed to find what's wrong. It's yeah. the way through evolution, you know, we're programmed to to find fear and threats and what's not working and to problem solve. But the work of Martin Seligman, um, he's a a human, uh, he's into human psychology from um, Pennsylvania University, uh, is all about this idea to be researchers of good and to scan your life for the good. And that when you scan your life for daily good, you're actually building and optimizing your brain to tune into it rather than the default setting of, of looking for threats and looking for, um, you know, when people have judgments, when you feel you're being judged or you feel that people are, are thinking certain things about you, that's all based on evolution and our fear of scanning for what's not working. But when you actively scan for the good in your life, you recircuit the brain and you build new neural pathways that allow you to um, really tap into positivity more easily, which can have an impact on on your brain. So, for us, it's positivity, gratitude, meditation, without question. Yeah, and I made so powerful, and um, I've been doing a lot of. Uh, work on this and not only work on it but interviewing other people that are really really involved in sort of things like this and meditation was one thing that I've always struggled with as you said I'm very active and I, I struggle to do it whereas now I don't force myself but it's more of a breathing sort of thing um, and I do it each night uh, and it's it's getting easier it's like everything it's getting easier and I'm seeing the benefits of it and some things the harder they are the more worthwhile they are so for me I, hey, I, I totally I, agree with that can I throw a question back at you, you can yes yeah so so tell me when you you sit down to meditate um, how long do you strive to do it and and just take me through when you feel as though that you've done really well with it, what does it feel like? 
and how do you pull yourself back in? So I've recently started doing it as I go to bed. So um, because I normally have a lot of things racing through my mind and um, I really struggle to shut off. And I I'd previously tried to start reading. Um, I wouldn't use any devices or anything for an hour before I went to bed, but my mind was still racing. Um, so I use uh, I use an app called Smiling Mind and the meditations yep. would go from five to 10 minutes. Like that was enough for me just to focus on my body, get that body awareness, my breathing and so forth. Um, and that worked really well. I go, I don't go any longer than 10 minutes. Um, I normally lay down and what happens when I finish is I feel really calm, relaxed and it's like I'm sort of floating and I'll normally go straight to sleep. Sometimes that doesn't happen, but more often than not, it's happening now the longer I'm doing it and the more I'm practicing it. So it was like back in the day when you're a quarterback, you know, your throws would have got better and you're like the more you did them, it's like any sport or anything in life, the more you do it, the better you get. So for me personally, that's really working well. And um, recently, I don't know if you know about this app, Andy, but an app called The Gratitude Project. Anyway, what it does, write this down as a free app. I actually interviewed uh, the creator of this on episode number 42. His name's Hugh, amazing fella. Anyway, what it is each night, it's a free app, and I've spoken about this before, but you write um, something... Uh, you write something that went well today, some something you're grateful for. And then the last question, which I love, is what are you looking forward to tomorrow? So what it does is before I do my meditation, I'm already thinking about the positive things that I'm going to be doing tomorrow. Whereas previously before doing this, I wasn't a negative person, but you can very easily get you know, thrown down that path that, oh, you get caught up in these things that aren't even that big issues, but they just play in your mind. Whereas now by constantly reminding yourself, and I know you've just mentioned that you do it as well. I don't feel like that anymore. I'm really happy with my day. I'm proud of what I've done, who I've seen. And then I go to sleep excited for tomorrow. So um, if people aren't practicing this, I, I'm a big advocate for it because I was like, oh, meditation, I think it's a joke. And, and I used to, but um, it's one of those things, mate. Yeah, I, I use an app. Um, I can't do it myself yet, um, and I find that really beneficial. Is, it, is that how you started, or were you able to go into that state by yourself? No, definitely an app. We use Headspace, yep. um, which, which is a great app by Andy Pudicomi. Um, uh, yeah, so we use that, and it's 10-minute meditations, but then at the end, we always just put on the timer and some days we'll do three minutes of total silence after or five minutes. Um, but it just, it flies by when you get into a routine. So we do that. But the, the one thing that, um, also that I wanted to mention was, like you said, when you think about what you're going to do the next day and then you go to bed excited, it's, uh, again, this idea that we, we don't always do this, but it's a really cool routine as well, where, where you, you think about your day just before you go to bed and then you, you, you kind of end the day off with a question that you don't know the answer to. Okay. It could be a question about what you need to do tomorrow, whatever it is, a question, something you're unclear about, and you leave yourself with that question and you ask yourself a couple times and then you release it to the subconscious. And there's been some research with this as well with people who have done this consistently. So when you go to sleep, your subconscious actually works on answering that question. And when you wake up in the morning, you do a 10-minute free write or a 5-minute free write instantly as soon as you get out of bed. And and the answer is you have more answers and clarity with the question that you, you had left yourself with before you go to sleep, 
we've done that some some days, not consistently, but it's it's a nice little unique twist to add to uh, daily rituals. That's I, I really like that. I, I think I might struggle though with not actually being able to uh, fall asleep by doing that. Is that is that an issue you might have? Like, because I, if I had a question, I don't normally just leave it. I'll answer it. I want I want to do that. I don't. So is that. For me, I think at the moment, I don't personally think I'd be able to do that. But did you have that issue at the start? And it was just by doing, 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 you actually got better at that? I think, you no, know, just by just by doing it, it's almost like you're so tired and it's just your last question. And the idea is you do release it. You don't try to figure out the answer. So as long as you're not trying to actively figure out the answer, you're, you're, you're settled with the fact that you don't know the answer and and then you leave it to the sleeping mind to figure out so it's kind of releasing it if you get caught up with knowing the answer then i could see it definitely impacting yeah. the ability to fall asleep so it's it's about releasing it to the uh, sleeping self well that's mate as i said i'm always open to new ideas i'm i'm still trying to grasp this meditation to get my head around it but i will come back to you maybe when i see you uh later in the year mate i might be able to say yes i can do that now um where you where you're situated at the moment you live in an amazing compound in saudi um and you love it over there i know you've spoken so fondly about it and great community and things like that obviously for people when you when i first realized where you're teaching i was like wow that's probably a place I wouldn't want to go. Um, can you explain actually what it's like and what living in a compound is like? It's not like a jail or um, yeah, just a little bit of a background on it, mate, because it is very fascinating. Yeah, it's a 42-square-kilometer compound. It's massive. Yep. You don't feel like, you know, a lot of compounds internationally are quite small and the houses are really jammed together. This is big, wide open, spread out, you know, over the, the, uh, the whole area. Uh, the king of Saudi, um, King Abdullah, uh, 10 years ago, invested billions of dollars into this project, knowing that Saudi was going to run out of oil. He, um, he felt it as though he needed to invest in the future of the country and to, to help um, create and innovate um, new ideas that were not based on oil. So this university here, it's absolutely stunning. It's breathtaking. The, the research they're doing, cutting-edge, top research from around the world. Um, all of the kids in the school are researchers' children or teachers' children. Um, so the culture itself, it's very liberal where we are. So women can drive. They don't have to um, cover up or anything. Um, but there's still a, a really nice mix of, of Saudi nationals and expats. Um, so there's still very, uh, there's, there's still very, I want to say strict Muslims, but in a respectful way, people that really adhere to Muslim values that are different than what we see on the news. The Muslims are beautiful people. Um, they want the same things that we do. They want family. They want to, you know, have beautiful families. They, uh, family means everything to them. You know, and it's a culture that stays up later at night. So the the families go out later at night for dinner, and um, you know, so it's it's been really rewarding to to live in this culture and to see all the bad things be in the press about uh, Muslims, and to come here and meet beautiful people. You know, um, every day just collaborating with with. Um, you know, the, the locals and uh, who want the same thing, you know. So it's been a real eye-opening experience. And when my sons first came here, they thought that they wouldn't have any friends. 
And then within two weeks, my oldest son, his closest friends were from Palestine, from Egypt, from Saudi Arabia. And these kids are just amazing. You know, they just, a culture and ethnicity doesn't mean anything to them. It's all the, just the bonds of friendship. And we've experienced only the good here. That's, uh, and that's amazing. And how well rounded up are your two children going to grow up in a situation like that where they actually get to experience it firsthand instead of seeing all the negatives and things that the news, you know, make up or what they want to portray yeah. just to sell that sort of copy or hard copy or anything like that. Now, your role at Saudi, you're actually, you're not in the classroom, are you? No, I'm not. I'm so a, you've gone um... more into a mentoring role. Um, yeah, do you want to share a little bit about that? Because um, I think that's a really powerful, you know, you've obviously been a PE teacher and you've built up your skills. You've done a lot of consulting, traveling around the world, and um, you're a massive keynote speaker and world-renowned teacher. But now you're actually mentoring and things like that. So how's that role changed from, you know, your, your typical PE teaching role? Yeah, it's um, it's an instructional kind of coaching role, pedagogical coordinator it's called. So it's working with teachers, coaching them, working alongside of them, um, really helping them get better at what they do, but under their own terms, you know? So it's not dictating anything. It's not about dictating or mandating that teachers do this or that. It's about really tapping into what they do well and asking the right questions to promote discussion and dialogue about teaching practice. And oftentimes the teachers... Uh, come to their own conclusions. And when the teachers are kind of stuck, then I become a collaborator and I, and I share ideas with them. Um, so it's, it's like a, a dream job, really, because it's kind of like what I did consulting, but now I do it with um, my own group of teachers. So I work with physical education, music, art, and library, um, as well as this, the swim teachers. Um, Swim's a different program. So it's uh, really doing what I was doing anyways, and it's just like working with teachers to inspire them, to, to really um, help them develop their practice, and then have them set goals, and then collect data for them based on, on their teaching practice, and then analyze the data, and then set goals. And so it's been a real learning experience as well, but it's, uh, it's just a wonderful job, and uh, and I still do the other stuff on the side. The school supports me with that um, because that's my own professional growth. But I, can, I think that kind of sums it up in a nutshell. But just recently I went to the PE team and I said, dudes, give me a class, man. I've been out of the trenches. I got to start. <laughs> so so I'm, I'm teaching uh, a grade five class uh, two times a week and I love it. I'm going to teach them the rest of the year. Gets me grounded, gets me back in the trenches. It's very easy to lose sight of the day-to-day, uh, I don't want to say battle of teaching, but the day-to-day demands that teaching brings. And as a leader, it, you can lose sight of that. So I, I feel as though I was rusty getting back in there, but I'm right back in my element and connecting with kids. And, you know, it, it means the world to me to be back in the classroom teaching. I think uh, also you, you sometimes can, as you said, you, you sort of forget what it's like. Um, exactly what it's doing. I know personally now that I don't teach every day. Um, it is really important that I do go to schools and I do have contact with teachers, with, with different students and actually still run the lessons. So you do know what it's like still because you can forget. Now, mentoring, mate, um, for teachers out there listening, what's some 
some amazing advice that you've learnt over the years. Um, if there was a new teacher starting out or things like that, you've obviously mentioned the benefits, and I know I have as well, of going overseas and teaching. Um, what, what else? Is there any other words of wisdom? Maybe a couple of couple of little takeaways that uh, teachers listening could go, yeah, that's something that I'm, I'm going to write down, I'm going to really stick to. I think the, the, the biggest thing is, and I have this, this headspace little, you know, the Headspace app that I told you about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Headspace every day sends you uh, great quotes uh, at random times throughout the day. So I was on the golf course today, and um, this, this uh, quote pops up, the daily quote, and here it is. Each and every thing, each and every person is totally unique. When we compare them to something else, we no longer see them for what they are. And to me, teaching, I go back to that idea that teaching is deeply personal and, and it's a unique journey. And, you know, every single teacher is extremely unique. And one of the big things, before I, I get off topic here, one of the big things is that every single teacher faces different circumstances. If you're a first-year teacher, a second-year teacher, a 20-year veteran, whatever, you all face different uh, obstacles and different situations and different students and different climates and all of that stuff. So I think that in knowing that, that you have different access to resources, uh, your students are different, um, your, your time with the students are different. So you have to tap into your own unique environment. And it's very difficult to just blindly copy things that you see and apply it to what you do in your practice. You need to be critically um, self-aware of the obstacles that you face and, and to, to narrow down to what you need to do in your own unique situation to become better at what you do. Every teacher has the potential to be a master of their own space and a master of their own learning. And, and from day one of your teaching, know that very few people can give you the answers that you need. You've got to stumble along this journey and, and you've got to be aware of what you need and then seek out the people that can help you and ask those people the right questions and make yourself vulnerable and do not mask. Teachers mask all the time. And I can give a quick example of you know, when I went to Azerbaijan, I was teaching uh, middle school, and my whole department of, of PE teachers were all ex-Olympians. Well, for the really? Soviet Yeah. So I had a, my teaching assistant was an ex-high diver in two Olympics, wonderful person who's in Perth now, um, a local Azeri, and then the head of PE was an Olympic sprinter in the 1996 Atlanta Olympics. And then the other two teachers were professional handball players uh, that had played at the Olympic level. So I go into that program, and, and you know the, the ex-Soviet bloc PE is all about skill and drill, baby. They just drive the skills <laughs> down your throat, teaches the way, teach the way you've been taught, right? So they were big into track and field. So suddenly I go to this PE program where I've done very little track and field, but I was... I was masking that I had no experience. I taught running and jumping, but suddenly I'm having to teach high jump to middle schoolers. And I'm like, shit, I, I've never taught high jump. I never did high jump. 
I'm certainly no way, man. I'm too cool. I'm, I'm just going to pretend that I know what I'm doing. And back then, you couldn't research very much on the internet, right? Yeah, yeah. So I'm looking at books, and I'm like literally one lesson ahead of the students with high jump. And um, because I had never done it, I had no experience in it. And then it came to a head one day when one of the teachers who was like almost like national level high jumper as well, you're teaching it wrong in a very Russian serious way. And then I was like, you know what? I've never taught it. Please lead the lesson. And it was like, I just lifted this weight from my shoulders because when we mask as teachers, the internal anxiety, you're constantly trying to cover up what you don't know instead of actually saying, I don't know because I've never had experience doing this. So my biggest advice is do not mask. If you don't know how to teach something, you connect with somebody who can be a mentor to you, and it's amazing the progress that you will make when you develop an understanding of that skill that you're teaching. Um, so I think it's making yourself vulnerable. Don't be a tough guy or a tough woman and pretend to know it all. Seek advice, ask questions, and connect with others. Yeah, and that, that's yeah. massive advice because a lot of the time when you start out, you're like, oh, I should know this. I don't want them to look like I'm not competent. But really what you're doing there is you're shooting yourself in the foot because the most powerful thing you can do is ask for assistance, get a mentor, um, and your development will grow, flourish so much further with that guidance of somebody that's been there before. So um, great advice. Don't be scared to put your hand up and say, look, I'm out of my depth here. I need somebody. Now, Andy, amazing chat today. For people out there, obviously, um, in the show notes, I'll have mention of your TED Talk. Um, and also a link to your podcast. Where else can we find you, mate? You're, you're a man around town, around the internet. Um, I know you've got your own website, PYPPE with Andy, um, so you can go on there and check that out. Um, anywhere else where we can find you, buddy? Yeah, Twitter, uh, at Andy Vasley. I'm uh, the same on Instagram. Um, I, I was uh, off of LinkedIn for a long time because I forgot my password, so I got back on LinkedIn. <laughs> on same Andy Vasley on, on LinkedIn. Um, but before we, we close the show, I, I got a question for you. Cool. Yeah, go for it, mate. Okay. So in knowing what, what you know now, so how old are you now? I'm 32. Young buck. <laughs> Compared to you, mate, I, when you've just got 50, correct? <laughs> a, young, a young, healthy buck. Um, and, and Dale, I, before asking this question, I want to truly commend you because I've seen in you, like, I think we connected on Twitter probably five or six years ago, I think. Yeah, definitely. It was, it was a long time ago. I think I uh, I come to Twitter, I had no idea what I was doing, and um, Jared um, Robinson said, look, these are about four people, connect with them, they'll make you feel welcome, and, and you straight away messaged me. I was like, wow, I really appreciate that. And at exactly what you said about... Um, I was out of my depth, I didn't know what was happening and you didn't know me from a bar of soap but you took the time to message me and ask me how I was and, and I, I truly remember that mate and I always have so um, yeah, yeah, thank you but the, the, the thing is that I, in seeing your own journey you are a living example of somebody finding their purpose you know, and, and believing and, and it hasn't come easy I'm sure like, you know you dug into my story, and if I was to dig into your story, which I'll have you on my podcast at some point, is um, you've had to overcome obstacles, both uh, internal internal obstacles and external obstacles, and then taking the leap to go to consult and just having the faith 
in in your own ability and your own calling. So it's been great to see you find your purpose. Thank you, man. I appreciate uh, that. And to make a difference in the work that you do. But so my question to you is if I was to like scoop you up and put you into a time machine and catapult you back to your to your 18 or 19 year old self or 16 year old self, a time when you you really struggled and you could get outside of the time machine and spend one minute with yourself, what advice would you offer yourself knowing what you know now? Do you know what? I, I wouldn't change a thing. Do you know why? Because I think the only way I've learnt or anybody learns is by failing or by doing things. And they're not failures, they're lessons. And by not doing the lessons I've done or told myself not to do them, I wouldn't be the person I was today. So, um, yes, I would have loved to know a lot of different things. I would have loved to know maybe the Bitcoin was going to go from $0.10 to $25,000, you know, things like this, Andy. But um, as far as me personally developing, I think things happen for a reason. Um, And, yeah, I've, I've done a lot of things along the way, but I think I've been shaped by the people around me. So um, for me personally, uh, being out there, being very confident, I think has been very fortunate. Um, and what I'd say to myself is try and meet as many people as you can and make as many connections and don't just do that for the wrong reason. And I don't think I ever have. Um, and that's probably the biggest tip that I gave all the students I used to teach was that every connection you make is a connection that may be able to benefit you or help you one day or you may be able to help them. So the more people you can meet, the more authentic you can be, um, the the better your life will be. And I think it's all about serving and helping because if you are helping and constantly looking out for other people, that will come back because they will want to help you one day. So um, I think I would have might, if I was going to say anything, maybe do that at an earlier age. I think I was a little bit arrogant and naive at obviously that age and the older you get you figure these things out but um i don't regret a thing i've done mate and uh i think for all people out there if you've gone through struggles or things haven't gone well or there's been things you're not proud of um you learn from those and you make sure they don't happen again because that's how you grow and that's what builds the person you are today yeah and just to to add to that that's great advice and just to add to that um it's, it's truly what you're saying is to, to, to make an attempt to connect with others. And whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, ex, extroverts, it's easier um, the, for, to, to connect um, than it is for introverts. But it's this idea that you're truly one moment away. And you don't know what that one person is going to bring to your life and how that one person can change your life. And... Um, can I just close off the show with just a quick story? Mate, I'd, you, the floor's yours. You've uh, taken over my podcast interview and you've made it your own. So you tell me what you're doing. I'm just listening now. I have to answer my own question. So go for it. <laughs> yeah, no, just to, to reinforce this one moment away thing that you're, you're saying is there is a, a great podcast that we listen to and uh, from a mindfulness expert, Tara Brock, her name is. And she tells this story of... Um, this guy who was um, had like huge anger management issues, and he, I think he was in the military, and then you know he had all of these, you know, he was getting in fights left and right, and and he had to go to anger management, and you know classes, and then he goes to these anger management classes, and then learns these like mindfulness meditation techniques to calm him down especially when he's feeling um, this anxiety, right? 
So he's getting better at what he does, but he still can fly off the handle at any moment. So he goes to the grocery store and he just picks up a couple items and then he wants to rush to a line. And of course, like all the lines are full and he goes to this express lane and then the woman ahead of him is holding this cute little baby and the cashier and the woman are talking, right? And it's an older woman holding the baby and he's like totally pissed off and because and, he's already late and he's getting worked up and he feels like he's going to explode and say, come on, hurry, hurry up and lay into these people. But he sees the older woman hand the baby to the cashier and then he catches himself oh, you know what, I need to be present right now and I just need to take a deep breath and I need to just like be aware of what's going on. So he sees the baby and in, to himself he's like, wow, that baby's so cute. <laughs> and then he, cal he calms himself down and then the lady gives the baby back and then the woman leaves with the baby. And then when, he, when it's his turn at the cashier, he says, wow, that was a really cute baby. And the cashier says, yeah, that's my baby. Um, my husband was killed in Afghanistan last year and my mother takes care of my baby every day and brings him in for just a moment, you know, every day so that I can see him and spend some time with him. And right away, that moment changed his life because he suddenly realized the, the power of, of being present and being aware and realizing that every single person in the world is fighting their own battle. And this whole one moment away and connecting, as you said, can truly make a difference. When, when you open yourself up to a new relationship and something that they can bring you could make a, a powerful difference in your life and make you better at what you do, make you learn something new, whatever. So I just, I just wanted to share that story with you because I love that story and it's all about connecting. Yeah, and mate, I love that too. And I could listen. I think if you had told me some facts about there after talking to you for 50 minutes, I would have been lost. But I was so entrenched with that because storytelling is such a powerful message. And the way you told that, I think, is awesome. And um, if that's one way we're going to finish off, um, that not only I appreciate you as a mate now, um, and by reaching out all that years ago, and by you putting your hand out and being so nice to me, we've now got a really nice friendship. We don't see each other that often, but when we do, it's like we've never been apart. So um, thank you so much for sharing your message today, mate. Um, I know I've dragged you off the 18th, and you didn't have the best round, and you were a little <laughs> bit upset. You don't have your pink shirt on. Maybe if you had wore your burnt salmon maroon pink shirt that you threw. <laughs> Andy, pleasure, mate. Um, I'll have all the ways in contact Andy in the show notes guys and um, by all means go and check out his podcast he's dominating and as you can listen to his voice and his passion uh, everything he's doing is pure gold and um, I just really want to thank you for being on the show today mate it's been a pleasure hey thank you very much Dale and best of luck to you <laughs>